0: Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in-person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters.
1: Start with the, the, the stupidest simple thing that kind of looks like your product, and then go from there.
0: Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to know what kind of feedback to take and what to ignore, how to prototype as quickly as possible, and how to pitch your product to blogs prior to your launch. Today, I'm joined by Adam and Joey from Baron Fig. Baron Fig makes tools for thinkers designed with the philosophy of simplicity, usefulness, and community, and was started in 2013 and based out of New York. Welcome, Adam and Joey.
1: Hey, what's up? What's going on, Felix? How you doing?
0: Good, good. So you're actually one of the first uh, companies that I've had on that has had that same I guess description of your brand on all your profiles exactly the same. You usually, when I have a guest on, they'll have one variation of the way they describe their company on Twitter, and then different on Instagram, different on Facebook. So obviously, you guys have uh, given a lot of thought into how you want to describe your company. How did you come up with this? Uh, I guess this uh, the slogan or this tagline of "Tools for Thinkers, Designed with the Philosophy of Simplicity, Usefulness, and Community." Oh,
2: man, that's a good question. Uh, so, you know, we started with the Confidant Notebook back in 2013. Uh, it actually originated from me going to art school and seeing that uh, th- there was no notebook that my design peers had really enjoyed. So I went to Adam. Adam, do you remember that? I think it was a time Yeah, restaurant. I remember
1: it way back in the day. Yeah, it, it, well, it was actually way before that, Way we started the company. I think it was 2010 when Joey met and I met each other, kind of like a meetup in New York. And he was telling me then I was a huge fan of stationary products. And he was saying, yeah, at art school, kind of everyone has a MacBook Pro or MacBook right. Air. But when it comes to a paper notebook, there's nothing that really everyone liked.
2: Right. So the question was, why is there ubiquity in one tool and not the other? And then can we solve that that uh, problem? And so uh, you know, I, I presented to Adam like several times over the course of a few years, I think, right?
1: Yeah, something like that, yep.
2: Yeah, it was ridiculous. And finally, I think I had said it too too many times, where Adam was like, why don't we just do it? Let's try. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess the timing was right because because we were both like, all right, yeah, let's do it. And we started off by emailing over 500 thinkers around the world. And a thinker is designed as uh, – is sorry, and a thinker – it's basically anyone who has a brain and uses that for their job. So it can be as sexy as, you know, designer, illustrator, uh, architect. But of course, it's it's pretty much everybody who works at desks and uses notebooks. Uh, so we asked one simple question, was was, what do you like in a sketchbook or notebook? And I sent over 500 emails because I figured, ah, oh, you know, maybe I'll get 10% response rate. You know, if I could get 50 solid pieces of feedback, that'd be fantastic to start. Well, apparently the question struck a chord because we had an 80% response rate and I had over 400 email conversations going about what was missing in the notebook market and how people felt and basically encouraging us to continue this project and, and try. So we took all that feedback, we put it into a Kickstarter, launched that Kickstarter, and we ended up raising 11 times our goal. And that's when we realized that there was something to it.
0: Yeah, so you've, you've clearly had a lot of success on Kickstarter. We'll get into that in a bit. Uh, I want to talk about your experience of meeting each other. So you you mentioned, I think, Joe, you mentioned that you met each other through a meetup in New York? Uh, yeah, Mastermind. Remember that, Adam?
1: Yeah. So it was a common friend of ours. Like, Hey, we're going to all meet up and we're gonna have this mastermind group where we all kind of work on our individual projects and we're going to be responsible to each other every week when we show up. So it was an interesting idea, but Joey was there. I was involved in a thing called Toastmasters. It was like a public speaking group. Mm -hmm. And the guy who organized this was one of the guys in there. And then Joey was a friend of a friend of a friend, something like that. When he was a freshman at the SBA school of visual arts, studying graphic design. So I was working in finance in the times, so a totally different field, working at a hedge fund. And I don't know. I mean, Joey, I really liked Joey's design from the get-go. Even as a freshman in design school, I thought what he was making was really cool. And it's something I respect. And I always tried to design. Like back in high school, I made some websites for people, but I was never any good. And like the scariest thing in the whole world to me was a blank Photoshop page. And it was just like the fact Joey could sit down and actually make something that looked good. It was like, it was very impressive to me. So from there, we kind of started working on a bunch of projects together. Joe, you want to talk about that?
2: Yeah. Well, when, when I met Adam too, it was like, you know, there was this group and I guess over time you can tell who's really, really wants this and who, who thinks they want it. And Adam definitely exhibited like a ridiculous amount of determination and he still does every single day. Even our employees say like, you know, if Adam gets his mind set it's just like it's going to happen you know it's like sheer force of will it reminds me of uh john wick if you guys have seen it it's <laughs> like d- fear the boogeyman adam cornfield so so anyway uh yeah we we started just meeting together separately from the group we eventually left the group and then it all sort of trickled down into uh you know the story i told about kickstarter
1: well, so the, there was there was an intervening period, and people always say, "How do you find someone to work with?" Mm-hmm. And so we worked on as me, Joey, and one of our third friends, Scott, that kind of worked together in this intermediate period where we yeah. worked on an online travel website. We worked on online art school together. Uh, Joey was freelancing at the time, we kind of all helped him. With some of the things he was doing. So I would say during that period that we worked on a number of low risk projects that we all kind of had our main thing, our main job. I was still working. Joey was still in school that it wasn't too important to like make money on something right away, but we got to see how it was working together. So I think it was about three years at that point, by the time we were finally, that Joe and I were like, Oh, let's do this notebook thing. So by that yeah. point, it was just kind of like another project. Like, okay, here's a new one. Let's what, what do we need to do? Let's get started. So I think that was very important. I tell people today, it's like, if you want to find someone to work with, find someone that you have worked with and you'll see if it works or not.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great approach of starting with a bunch of small projects with maybe not crazy expectations, right? Because you don't know if you guys can work well together. You don't know if this particular project you're working on is going to be successful. You don't want to base the potential partnership on one project itself, you want to kind of trial these things out. So as you were going through this process of three years of working together, what did you notice, or what, based on your experiences, what have you noticed about what you should be paying attention to when you are looking for a partner? What are some key things that that you find important to, to, to look out for when trying to identify a key partner?
1: Yeah, Adam, you want to take that? Yeah, sure, I mean, one, does the person show up on time? that which to joey is huge whenever we would need to be somewhere like it's amazing say joey and i have <laughs> to meet somewhere at 11 a.m i don't know wherever we're going inevitably the two of us will both be hanging around the block somewhere around ten forty. 40 it's like hey you around yep we're both there <laughs> early it's like not only are we there on time we're both there way early and you see people that show up late oh and they have a sto- story oh <laughs> the train was late subway this that it's like no i don't know what you need to do if it's important be there on time
2: so you're to be in there on time real quick. There's this curious thing about people who are late. They're always late by the same amount of time. Like I have a friend and, you know, I don't need to name her, but she shows up 20 minutes late every time or another friend. He shows up 15 minutes late every time. And so that just bugs me because you're <laughs> I'm definitely going off on this other thing but it's just like you're clearly on time for your lateness every time so you can do it it's just you just have to make an adjustment all right uh, I've, uh, <laughs> i
0: think i think i think i'm with you there though i think uh, if you can't find someone that that respects your time then that kind of says a lot about what potentially could come down the line so other other than time management any other kind of characteristics that the boss you look at
1: i mean are they honest with you do they tell you you know are they making up stories about something or telling you what's actually going on hardworking and consistent to actually do what they say they're going to do, or at least, you yeah, know, pr- pretty much make it work. I mean, obviously you can't always make everything work for various reasons, but like does it generally things get done, uh, respect for your opinion, Joey and I, we come from very different backgrounds. I mean, I came, I studied computer engineering and business in college, and then Joey studied, went to college twice, actually well, four years for literature and philosophy, and then four years for graphic design. Which is incredible of eight years of undergrad college. But so we have very different backgrounds, but it's incredibly useful for forming a collective opinion and coming to the right idea at the end of the day. So I think it's very important to respect each other's opinions and along with that to have very different skills. Joey, you want Absolutely. to say
2: about that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think like um you'll notice a lot of people Tend to gravitate towards people who are like themselves, right? It's a it's mm-hmm. probably some sort of pack mentality, uh, and it's great for maybe social reasons, right? You 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 hang out with people who do things that you do, like I don't know, play video games or watch movies or something. But when it comes to business, um, having a, a partner that does what you do just adds a redundant set of skills. You know, for example, two designers teaming up or two developers. Neither one of those teams is as powerful as one designer and one developer. Um, So it's important to, you know, for those of you out there who are trying to get a partner and build a, a company or a product, that you go outside of your comfort zone and find people who are not like yourself and who can contribute things that are very different from what you do.
0: Mm, That makes a lot of sense. I think that that's important to note that you, you, what you're going to gravitate towards, not necessarily what you need for your business to be successful. Now, you mentioned that one of the first things you did early on was to survey your, essentially your target customers. You had access to 500 thinkers. You sent them an email. How did you get, I guess, this, this email is how were you able to reach out to 500 uh, target customers?
2: Yeah, that was good old elbow grease. Uh, we went to websites like Behance, Dribbble, checked out Twitter, uh, and looked for profiles where people said what they did. You know, For example, I started with designers because I'm a designer and got their email addresses through their websites, and we created a giant, giant spreadsheet, which we still have in the archive, of all the people who we reached out to.
1: I was going to say, the the important part of that is don't ask for something when you need it. It's like if we had emailed all those people the day before a Kickstarter and, hey, we're making a book, buy our stuff, we would not have an 80% response rate. Joey, how far in advance did you reach Uh, out? Yeah,
2: easily five months before the Kickstarter, if not more.
0: Don't ask them for help when you need it, but you're saying to prepare way ahead of time.
2: Yeah, like don't really. I mean, we kept the email short. I think a lot of people who pitch things, I get pitches all the time in my inbox. And if you send me two sentences, I'm probably going to respond. At the very least, I'll Mm -hmm. say, "Hey, thanks, but it's not for me." But if if you send me a pitch with you know three paragraphs, I feel bad if I don't respond with three paragraphs. So Mm -hmm. my email that I wrote to to send all these thinkers was just like, "Hey, this is me. We're trying to make a notebook." What do you like in a sketchbook or notebook? Thanks, Joey. And that I think contributed to the high conversion rate.
0: Got it. And did you have something to show them at that time? Did you have any pictures or was it just literally a couple lines and asking for their feedback? Just a couple lines. Got it. Now you mentioned that a lot of people got back to you, and I'm assuming that maybe your questions were pretty open ended. So you got a lot of great information, a lot of great data coming in. How did you sift through? How did you know what kind of feedback you should take, which ones you can either ignore or maybe push off until a later iteration?
2: Well, it, it was it was good that I was doing most of the emailing because I was also doing a good chunk of the design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so me being directly connected to that feedback, I, things naturally floated to the top, right? You you hear the same thing over and over again, and you realize, okay, this is an important thing. And a good example of that for our products, we make tools for thinkers, and the first one being the notebook, was that it opens flat, right? And you would think that you know every notebook should open flat, um, but there are so many notebooks out there that when you open them up, there's this big curve on the inside Mm -hmm. where it's attached to the spine um, that makes part of the page unusable, and overall, it's a terrible experience. And so we took that very seriously, uh, and we actually, because of all that feedback, because of my personal experience, we re-engineered how a spine works uh, from the ground up, uh, which is something that, you know, (laughs) <laughs> notebooks have been around for centuries and I guess at some point people just stopped looking in that direction and said, "Well, you know, hey, let's make computers and cell phones, which is fair enough. But, um, all of these evolutions and other materials and technologies had been going on while the notebook had not been evolving as much. For example, you know, there's glue nowadays that can stretch once it's dried, it becomes elastic. And that didn't exist when notebooks were first, um, you know, invented back in the day. And so we took all of the different uh, evolutions of things that we could contribute towards a notebook and we designed what you see now as the confidant.
0: Mm-hmm. So you didn't need to even take a super methodical approach to consuming, collecting the data, consuming it, analyzing it. You just made sure to immerse yourself in all the feedback and that naturally impacted your, your design. Yeah,
2: I yeah. My design process is probably um, when I describe it, it sounds a little hokey, but it's more like a a Zen experience rather than an academic one. Uh, my my main strategy is to look within instead of look without. Uh, so I try to really focus on how I am feeling and how I am. Experiencing a design that I've made or a product that I've made, uh, and what is my reaction? Not what reaction do I want, because that's just my bias interfering. But how do I actually feel when I pick up this notebook? Does it really make me feel like it's it's high quality? Does it want to, you know, as silly as it sounds, does it inspire me to open it up more and use it, and things like that? Uh, is is generally. How my process works.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's important, right? This, this, uh, this gut feeling, this intuition that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have, but sometimes they slow themselves down by wanting to take a super academic or methodical approach, and and that's probably not necessary, especially in the beginning, the early days when you don't, when these kind of looking at the numbers might not be as impactful as just getting the kind of qualitative feedback by you you know you're designing or maybe you're just talking to people and getting that that feedback and not focusing so much on the the raw numbers or raw data
1: right right yeah i was gonna say i was gonna talk a little bit about prototyping just like i think there's a general consensus with physical products like oh you're gonna do it the first time and it's gonna come out perfect right it's like i want to have the dream this in my head and then eventually we'll crank out the final perfect thing but it's Mm -hmm. a very iterative process that we use for this first notebook and for all of our products that come up, start with the these stupidest, simple thing that kind of looks like your product. And they go from there. Like our first version of the notebook was literally Joey covered some other notebook in canvas and like, how did it look? And our second one, which is my favorite is Joey literally watched a YouTube video about how to stitch notebooks. I remember we had a meeting on like a Wednesday. It's probably in 2013, came in the next Wednesday with this hand stitch notebook, which it's <laughs> definitely, it's definitely not the final confidant, but it is. It's the Cheerios one. Yeah, the Cheerio. Yeah. The boards in the spine are literally Cheerios box. <laughs> you know what? It gave us something to look at and feel and touch. And then we could take that version to like kind of a professional bookmaker to get our next prototype. So it doesn't go directly from, oh, here's my idea to here's the final production version.
0: Now, uh, I, want, I definitely want to talk about that a little bit more. Prototyping, you want to go back to your the kind of description of your brand real quick. So, simplicity, usefulness—that part makes sense. I can definitely see thinkers talking about this. They want something simple. They want something useful. Now, the last kind of uh, tenets of your of your brand is around community. Can you talk about a bit about that? Like, how did you or why did you decide to also uh, has add some emphasis on the community aspect of of your brand?
2: Well, the the notebook was born from a community of thinkers, right? Those five hundred, those four hundred people around the world who shared their thoughts, uh, and on Kickstarter we presented it uh, as designed by the community, which it very much was, um, and it's something that I hadn't ever really seen before uh, pointed out in such a, a clear and concise way, you know, in a simple phrase as "designed by the community," and it. It, initially, that was just like a fact. I didn't think too much about it. It was just, hey, this was designed by a bunch of people. Uh, but then I, I quickly understood. And and Adam, Adam is really good at noticing trends and stuff like this. And when people are like gravitating towards something, and you know, him and I both could could see that people were responding very well to that concept. And so we've worked hard to make sure that that's perpetuated in the rest of our process. And so moving forward on our website, um, we ask for feedback uh, all the time. There's a, a dedicated page for it in in the confidant box. There's a link, a call out that actually says on the insert, please send your feedback. Um, you know, we ask Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. And we get a ton of feedback every day with people um, telling us how. How we could do better, and also we ask what we are doing right, so that we know what people do like, and we take all that feedback still, and we continue to create new products based around it. Um, so it's essentially, you know, still a very much a core part of our company, and in the future, you know, that's that's something we are always going to improve too. We want to make it even more uh,
0: transparent. So you're saying that involving the community in uh, early on in the designs not only, of course, helps you create a product that that they will enjoy, that they will, will will like and find value in, but it can also push your business in other ways by because of the 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 benefit of it being designed by the community, it resonates more with the with the community that's going to end up purchasing.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense, right? You are you have the ability to make products and you have people who want products and they tell us what they'd like to see and we work to make them. And uh, pretty much everybody's happy.
0: Mm, that makes sense. Now, the back to the prototyping. So, you guys put together this prototype out of Cheerio Boxes. The next step was then to go to someone that was it an another prototyper or was it someone that was actually going to end up manufacturing the the notebook like what was the very next step after having your own prototype?
1: Yeah, good question. So the next step then was to find someone who could actually make take it from kind of a slightly rough version to something that looks like we could take pictures of for our Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. so I think Joey I'm pretty sure Joey founder was someone here in New York that does really high-end kind of one-off wedding albums, that sort of thing. Like a very, very old school professional book binder. And it's expensive. I mean, I think we spent two or 300 bucks for each. We bought, I think we got made two of them prototypes. And if you go back to our first Kickstarter campaign for 2013, that's the book that's in all the video and in all the photos. And it looks very, very, very much like the final prototype or final product that we're selling today. So it's important to get that step. And then you could take that actual prototype that looks 95% or 98% like the final version and then take that to actually get it mass produced.
0: Got it. So let's talk about Kickstarter. So you actually have launched, both of you have launched, I believe, three campaigns. Uh, the sketchbook being the first. And I think I'm going in the right order. The The Squire pen uh, is next. And then the, the minimal backpack messenger and tote. So... Success on all of these. You you've had them successfully funded for for all of them. Blueway the 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 goal for for all of them. Um, let's start with the first one. What was so once you had this this prototype that was good enough for the photos, uh, for Kickstarter for the video for Kickstarter. How did you prepare to launch on Kickstarter?
1: So how do we prepare? It's a long process. I think most people see successful campaigns and are just kind of like, oh, you know, they put it together, it happened quickly and. At least in our case, and I believe most people who do fairly successful KickStars, it takes, I would say, four to five months to really do it right, especially your early ones. Uh, So that prototyping process, talking to the community, getting feedback, so the actual product design is key. Uh, The presentation is also extremely important. One of Joey's friends from art school was a and is a filmmaker. And Joey, how long did we spend getting the script together, getting all the people for that video?
2: Uh, it started. I think five months. The emails and the preparation started all at the same time.
1: Right, but I mean, actually, and then doing the video itself. So we wrote a script, multiple drafts of a script, and then we had I think six or seven different people in it, different uh, types the of actual shooting and whatnot. Yeah, I right.
2: mean, yeah, that that was probably a couple month process of the script, and then actually setting up the different shoots and coordinating. I mean, it was quite an orchestrated project.
0: When you're putting together a especially your first Kickstarter campaign, what did you know that you had to include in the video or in the the actual copy on on the, the 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 entire description on the page? Like what did you know that you needed to include to get the right kind of attention and to get this campaign funded?
2: I could say so much about this, but I think the real and the real important thing, and this is for Kickstarter specifically, is not don't just say what you're making but say why you're making it
0: can you say more about that like wh- why what's the the i like, difference in your eyes
2: when you say um what you're making you know here's a notebook it has 192 pages it's 5.4 by 7.7 inches etc it's not that exciting right comes in dot grid ruled etc but when you say that i i am creating a tool for thinkers to help them change the world because that is something that drives me every day. That is something that people respond to and want to support. And that's what Kickstarter's for.
1: Yeah. And also the visuals are extremely important on your Kickstarter. I mean, you have to make sure it's done right. That's both the video and the photos. Make sure you have nice lifestyle photos, product photos, because without that, I think the more investment you put in your Kickstarter page is the more credible you appear to buyers because if people don't want to spend much time putting the page together, why should someone buy it? And then also doing a lot of outreach in advance, both to customers and different blogs, people to be interested in it. Because momentum is really key on that first day. Like you really, whatever your goal is, you really want to hit that fairly quickly on day one, two, or three max to show. And it's kind of like an upward cycle for In general, because then the more money you raise and you hit your goal, then media tends to pay more attention, Mm -hmm. blogs, large or small, and then Kickstarter pays attention, features you, and then more people see that and they buy and then more blogs, et cetera. So it's important to show momentum out of the gate
0: so this this kind of outreach is building the buzz before the campaign launches. You mentioned that you reached out to customers to 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 p r to to blogs. Uh, how did you split your time like if someone had to focus on one or the other which, what's more important trying to get those early customers to buy or or focusing the time on, on getting the, the blog features uh i don't I don't think
2: it's almost like you can't really split them every element is important you know It's like saying if you wanted to make um, you know, a good pasta dish. Do you, do, you, <laughs> do, you, do you throw? Do you throw in the pasta, or do you throw in the tomato sauce? Uh, and they're sort of like, um, if you want to make this right, you you need everything. You need you need um, you know the good product, the good outreach, the good presentation. Uh, there
0: are no exceptions got it so when you're when you are reaching out to customers and reaching out to these blogs how do you pro- i'm assuming you approach them differently depending if they're a potential customer or if they're a blog like talk to us about how you yeah, i guess you you pitch your your product to so let's say let's, let's start with the blogs how do you pitch your product to to blogs when you are gearing up for a crowdfunding campaign like on kickstarter
2: um i mean you have to y- you have to be honest. You have to really care about what you're making. If you're just in it for the cash, just quit because people will see through that, especially the people who would potentially be your biggest backers, the most mm-hmm. passionate people about your mission. Uh, we'll see that your mission is is devoid of, of some sort of um, integrity or something. So you really, first of all, you need to be doing something that you believe in, uh, and then it's it's a very short email that just says, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. If you like it or if you want to know more, let me know. Uh, you know, and sometimes you link to the site or sometimes you send some pictures. Um, it's It's just very straightforward. it's It's more about quantity rather than um, you know, any specific formula mm-hmm. to make yeah. it
1: strike. Right. Someone once told me a while ago, the length of your email should be inversely proportional to how well you know them. So if you don't know someone, oh no, I'm sorry, I got that the wrong way. Directly (laughs) proportional. Sorry. So if you don't know someone very well, you want to be a very short email. Mm -hmm. If you do know someone well, then you can make it a longer email.
0: Mm, I like that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. So while you are reaching out to these blogs uh, because they have you know content schedule, they have a queue of of things to write about, you probably have to reach out to them you know, maybe weeks, maybe even months ahead of time before your campaign launches. And they agree to say, "Hey, we're interested in this. This uh, product is coming out into your your crowdfunding campaign. How do you make sure that they're going to write about something, or how do you follow up so that they do write about your product or your your campaign?" When the the
1: launch day happens, so uh, it's go-, go ahead. I was going to say, so it's going to be a total mixed basket of some people are going to respond right away. I love it. Keep me up, and then as you get closer, let them know. Other people, you're going to hear nothing, and these are the most mysterious. And a lot of bigger like publications do this, and our experience, other people we know, where it's they won't even respond to you, and then suddenly, maybe on the third or fourth day of your campaign, you'll get an email back from them referencing your email from three months prior. And they they have more questions. Or other times, you've emailed them four times, never heard a thing, and suddenly you get a giant article written about your product. So it's definitely a mix. But for sure, the more emails you send, like Joey said, and the more quantity heightens your probability of getting coverage.
0: Mm, Do you remember how many people you end up reaching out to for that first campaign?
2: oh wow. i I would say thousands wow. I, I didn't stop emailing um until the thirty days were up, and I spent probably fifty percent of my days emailing. That's, that's I think crazy. there's
1: a there's a picture of Joey on day like number twelve, and I think his girlfriend or someone took. and literally he's like asleep on the bed with his <laughs> shoes on that it was just like it's so much stuff going on <laughs> that he just like fell asleep, couldn't even move.
0: That's hilarious,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, it was like face down, just completely just passed, passed out. out.
0: <laughs> so now the customers, Then when you, when you started reaching out to these people to prepare them for the launch, were they just that list of 500 thinkers that you had accumulated? Like how, or were there other ways that you were getting people that are interested in, in the product prior to the Kickstarter campaign?
2: I believe by the time the Kickstarter, the very first Kickstarter launched, we had a Twitter going and Facebook page uh, I can't remember if we had Instagram, I think we did um, yeah, so it came from you know the email that we had been sending out, the social media, and then we also had a website uh, that introduced the project in a very basic form um and had an email sign up for people who'd like to get notified so there was uh that was collecting emails for I don't know three months, probably
1: Mm-hmm. it's a, And so email is very effective that we found. You definitely want to don't overlook, especially in the very beginning or ever, if you get people to sign up, because then there are people that want to know and you can let them know, which is higher probability that they're looking to take action. And two is definitely friends and family, which we didn't talk about, but it's key. Make sure you let people know as far in advance as you can. Just like we talked to the customers months in advance that you tell your friends and family way in advance for it. Like no one likes to be say, Hey, Someone you haven't heard from a while on Facebook, you get a message, hey, I got a new Kickstarter up. Here's the link. Like Donate. And it's like no one wants to get that email. But if someone says three months in advance, hey, we're coming out with this new thing, what do you think? And then talks to you again about it, you're much more likely to back it.
0: Right, keep them kind of involved in the beginning rather than just asking for their money for the first time so the email marketing aspect of it were you were you guys constantly sending out emails during the campaign or was it just during the launch day like what was the email marketing strategy for for reaching out to to actual backers or potential backers and potential customers
2: um, again, this is for the first campaign, the uh, Confidant Notebook. We sent an email out a couple days before saying, hey, it's going to happen on you know, Monday or what Tuesday, whatever it was. Uh, then Tuesday, we sent an email. I think halfway, we sent another email. And then we actually had an email planned for the end. But Adam, I, I don't know if you remember this. We, we had done so much more than what we asked for. It was kind of hard to send an email that said, right. "Hey, come back and give you know p- pledge more money to a campaign that was already eleven times its goal." Uh, so we we did not send that last email.
0: Yeah, because I see here on the at least the first project there is the stretch goal which you did also hit. And just to kind of recap, the goal originally was fifteen thousand dollars. You had a stretch goal of one hundred fifty thousand dollars ended up closing the campaign at a little bit over $168,000. The the stretch goal, what was the thinking behind that? Because I've seen this every once in a while on Kickstarter campaigns. What is a stretch goal and how did you guys use it for your campaign? Um,
2: Adam, you want to do that or do you want me? Yeah, go ahead. So a stretch goal is essentially um, an additional goal beyond the original. So Kickstarter does not allow you to change your goal once you start. Uh and you know, we do our best to judge the correct goal that we should um we should attain. So, you know, fifty thousand or a hundred or in, in our first case fifteen thousand, but ultimately we can't predict what will actually happen. And we hit our goal on the first day.
1: Yeah, like twenty-four so, twenty-three hours in, something like yeah. that. Yeah.
2: And so we had uh, you know, twenty-nine days left. And so a, a thing that kind of has evolved through the Kickstarter community that's not official. Uh, Kickstarter doesn't support it in any way. There's no like you know uh, interface mechanism to do this. You just post it. Is the stretch goal where you say, "Hey, we hit our goal. We've got time left. Let's go for thirty thousand, and we'll add another uh, color to the the selection." For example, uh, so we ended up just doing stretch goals. Um, 150,000 and like you said uh, at that point we were like all right enough is enough like you know we really did a good job let's let's start things off on the right foot with our customers as opposed to constantly pushing.
0: Mm. Now can someone that has uh, donated already or contributed already to your campaign can then come back and contribute again like what's the what's how how does that work for the, the backers point of view?
1: You mean for a stretch goal?
0: Yeah, I guess if someone already uh, pledged, you know, the 50 bucks or whatever, and then they want to help achieve that stretch goal, they can come back and contribute more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, during Kickstarter, you can change your pledge anytime until the very last minute. So, yeah, if you pledge 20 bucks or 50 bucks and you're like, okay, you know what? I want more notebooks. I love this. I want to give them away as gifts, whatever the case is. Yeah, absolutely. You can go and change your pledge up. Got
0: it. Now you guys have, of course, had success beyond Kickstarter, right? These these three campaigns. What's what's working today to drive the the kind of attention and traffic to to the site?
1: Well, we do well. We do a lot. I mean, at this point, we've been in business for almost four years, three and a half years now. We. One is we do a lot with bloggers and reviewers. So there's a very active like stationary community online. And at this point, we've expanded beyond just notebooks. We make our Squire pen. We make the Archer pencil, wooden pencil. We make uh, a smaller and larger Confidant notebook, a soft cover notebook, the Vanguard. We have a leather case for a notebook. Now we're getting into backpacks. So it's quite an array of things from our humble beginnings. is just a light gray notebook. But there's, there's quite a review community out there of different bloggers and Instagram people who like to review. So we do send up sending out a lot of sample items that, and they're very photogenic, which works in our favor. So yeah, that brings a lot of traffic to the site.
0: Mm, so vloggers and reviewers, this is in the, um, these are like video reviews, right?
1: Oh, uh, it's a mix. I mean, some people are mainly Instagram and they take maybe one photo or a series of photos now. Some people post Instagram stories. Some people have a traditional kind of WordPress type blog. Some people are, we have a couple of YouTube that do it and actually take videos, unboxing things. So I would say it's really a mix.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you identify who's going to be a good fit for for you to work with in terms of getting a review done or having someone feature it in one of their videos?
2: Uh, generally, we just... Take a look at the content they are already doing, right? So, if you see notebook reviews or pen reviews or or uh, other products like that relate to what we have, you know, it, it's safe to say that that you can go ahead and ask. But uh, if you're just emailing because they have you know two hundred thousand subscribers or followers and they have nothing to do with pens, you know, it's probably a waste of time.
0: Now, one of the the, the biggest challenges, I think, with uh, working with um, these kind of influencers is that it might be hard, right, to track performance. Have you found that to be an issue? Like, how do you identify if the entire, I guess, campaign, entire program is successful? And then how do you identify uniquely within each influencer if they are uh, successfully driving traffic and ultimately sales to your, your store?
1: Yeah, sure. Good question. I mean, it depends. You can look at your Google Analytics or we're on Shopify now. You can look at your Shopify dashboard and they attribute to the referral source. So you can get a sense of, okay, if it's a specific specific blog or domain name coming, when it's coming from Instagram or YouTube, it usually works better if you use like UTM links, mm-hmm. which is kind of like an encoded link that lets you track a lot more parameters. So you can see which reviewer it's coming from or which campaign it's coming from. So those are kind of the best tools. Also, the more overt things, just okay. If they posted Instagram post, did it get ten likes? Did it get a thousand likes? How much publicity did the actual post get? Got it. So when you're working
0: with these vloggers and reviewers, you are uh, coordinating with them to make sure that they are using your your Google Analytics UTM parameters so that you can track.
1: Yeah, different campaigns. It, it always varies by campaign. But yeah, if we want the most accurate tracking, then we say okay. Here, if you want to post a link, post this link.
0: Got it. And I think one of you had mentioned earlier on about how you now have a, a larger team than just you two. You guys have employees now. Uh, what what kind of, I guess, tools or technology or applications do you rely on, whether they be on Shopify or outside Shopify, to help run the business?
1: Joe, you, you want, want to answer that?
2: Yeah, answer? sure. Well, first of all, Shopify is great at um, keeping our inventory and products all together in one place and, and giving our team Uh, the right visibility for that stuff, which is fantastic. And then outside of Shopify, um, we use Stitch, which tracks our inventory. Um, ShipStation kind of takes the the orders from Shopify and gets them where they need to be in order for them to get sent. Uh, But then you have more like um, connected to the user stuff, which MailChimp is absolutely fantastic. Uh, We use them for all of our email campaigns it's a well-designed, simple platform that helps you uh, create your campaigns pretty quickly. Wow, I sound like an advertisement. Yeah, I was, was going to say. I was <laughs> like, wow, did I just listen
1: to a podcast advertisement? Yeah, right? right? <laughs> 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 Snuck that uh, one yeah, in.
2: MailChimp is great. Uh, you know, there's social media platforms, of course, that are free uh, to communicate with your customers. And then you, you have to pay for advertising and whatnot. Uh, and my personal favorite piece of software that we use as a team is Slack, which uh, most of you know by now, but if you don't, Slack is essentially uh, like a chat room for your work. You set up chat rooms, and and you could chat each other Slack, and it's sort of like uh, like texting, but uh, just for your company, essentially. Yeah,
1: you know and, I mean? and we and we have not been encouraged yet, but definitely Shopify is great for us. I mean, we've been on Shopify since I think August of 2014, and it just it works with everything. There's all these app plugins, like all the things we just mentioned. They integrate well. There's just it's everywhere. We, we have the mobile app. There's Apple Pay for our mobile website. And they are constant yeah. features. So it's, it helps us to focus on the presentation of our website and our branding. But when it comes to the core technology of, okay, making sure secure transactions and do we have a way to view our orders and all these things. like It's all the stuff we don't have to worry about. It lets us focus on what we're really good at doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, one of the key challenges that I hear often from, uh, especially new companies, is around uh, repeat purchases, customer retention. The good thing about what you guys have going on is that you have different products, of course, and, and and these are all products that are are, you know, heavily targeted at the customers that you've built already. And then of course, the things like the notebook, people are going to need new notebooks as they start using the ones that they have. But other than just because the products inherently are good for repeat purchases, what do you guys do to encourage people to come back, check out the website, check out the new products and potentially buy a product they've already purchased in the past?
2: I don't think there's any like magic bullet. I think it's to continue to create a quality brand and quality products. Uh, if, If someone buys our notebook and they like it and we release a pen, there's a high chance that they'll check that out. Uh, and that brings customers back. And then we have um, you know, some email automation, very basic stuff. If you buy a notebook in a few months, it'll just say, hey, do you need another one? Uh, and we sort of do that on all of our consumable products. But there's, there's no one magic bullet. It's just a smart uh, collection of small things that each incrementally add to, to bring people back.
1: Right. I mean, helping to encourage people to follow us on Instagram, which then if we have a new release or we post a lot of things of our different customers, they draw something cool in their notebook, then we'll post it on our Instagram. So seeing that, being on our email list, getting a notification that there's something new out, it's just a combination. Like Joey said, it's not any one magical thing.
0: Got it makes sense. So thank you so much for your time, Adam and Joey. BaronFig.com B-A-R-O-N-F-I-G.com b a r o n f i g. dot com is the website. What do you guys have planned for next year? What can we look out for uh, in terms of you know what you guys got going on at the at, at, at Baronfig?
1: Oh, that that's a great question. I mean, I will say <laughs> we're, we're very active at Baronfig. We got a lot going on, and if our the past things we've come out with or any indication of it. I don't know. Joey, what, what's our next thing coming out? Apparently? Well,
2: you know that we can't say what's uh-huh. coming because that would just ruin the surprise. But there is a product coming out this um, fall, this holiday season, I guess, that uh, is one of the most exciting products that I've had
0: the uh, pleasure to work on since we started. Awesome. So that's something so certainly to look forward to. Uh, do you guys always plan to launch things through through Kickstarters? I know that there's three campaigns that have launched through here. Is that somewhere people should pay attention to in terms of things that you are releasing? Like, What's the best way for listeners to stay up to date on what you guys got going on?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, the best way, follow us on Instagram, at Baron Fig. I mean, go to our website, sign up for our email list. We send out We definitely are very careful not to send out too many emails. We learned that lesson early on. Only send out emails if we really have something to say. So we'll only send you one if we have something to say. Uh, And that's it. I mean, we might be on Kickstarter again at some point. We'll see how everything goes. But we do release a lot directly on our website.
0: Awesome. So baronfig.com again, B-A-R-O-N-F-I-G.com. Thank you again so much for your time, Adam and Joey.
1: Thanks, Felix. Thank you so much, man.
0: Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode.
1: I don't want to just jump on to a market if it's not the right fit for the brand. You got to be real.
0: Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com blog.